So finally, tomorrow should feel in Florida a little bit like fall. Um, you know, I love the change of seasons. I don't know if you do or not. I know some people do, some don't. I just love the seasons. I, I, little, I enjoy a little bit of all four of the seasons, and uh, we don't get that a lot in North Florida, but at least we get a, a taste of fall, a taste of winter, a taste of summer, and a taste of spring. Everything really revolves around seasons. We've chosen to call this series, this new series, Seasons, because we want to talk about different time segments, and we just decided that the best way to describe that probably is with the word, the, the word seasons. Just as we have our calendar has four seasons, uh, all of life really has seasons, right? We go through seasons of life. We, we start with preschool years, and then there are there is a season of going to school in those uh, school years, and there's a season of college and career search and, and, and foundations, and then later on, there's, there's marriage years, uh, years of marriage, and, and even marriages is in seasons, right? We have a, a season of foundation where we're just starting out with our marriages and building it, and, and then there's the child-rearing years that is a brand new season. And if you've been there, you know that. And, and, and then there's the empty nest season that, again, um, is not bad. It's just new. And, and it's a different season, the golden years season. Really, all of life has seasons to some extent. Uh, when he was preaching in Athens one day, the Apostle Paul said these words. He said, from one man... He has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where we live. Paul had it right. The, the, the what did he say? Appointed times. The word is kairos, which is a word typically used for seasons. An extended period of time is the idea. Seasons have indeed been appointed by God in every area of life, and everything seems to revolve around seasons. So what's the most significant marker for a change in seasons, or for a new season, I should say? I don't know about you, but for me, the marker is not a date on the calendar. As a matter of fact, if I'm honest, I, I don't even know the, when the first day of winter falls on the calendar or when the first day of summer falls on the calendar. But I know when we're entering a new season because the marker is change. It's change, whether it's in the weather, uh, the temperatures, whether it's in the leaves um, that are on the trees, whatever it may be, changes. Seasons bring change. Now, the problem with that is we don't always do change very well. Well, one thing about it, all of us entered into a new season in 2020. I think we would agree. Because in 2020, like it or not, we had to face changes. We got out of school earlier than normal. Graduation was not held when it was supposed to be held. Many people were laid off or furloughed from work and we had to stay home, and way more than we're accustomed to. There was change in 2020, and we had to adjust. So we understand about being in new seasons. And like it or not, they come and they go. Changes come and changes go. Like it or not, everything is changing. Well, guess what? We also know that churches are not exempt from change. Churches change. We know that 
uh, churches have seasons and go through seasons when things change. There are, there are seasons maybe a beginning if it's a new church plant, and, or, or maybe it's a, 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 an older church, but even those go through seasons, right? There are seasons of this pastor or seasons of this worship leader or seasons of this youth pastor or whatever. And when those seasons change, we often get a little bit uncomfortable because we don't do seasons well. We don't do change well. But again, Life is full of changes. As a matter of fact, everything living changes. The only things that I can think of that don't change are dead. And so we need to learn to embrace change. We need to learn to accept change and to understand that change or ending of one season is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it is a necessary thing in order to enter into a new season. Well, we believe here at the Orchard, we're about to enter into a new season. We believe that we're about to enter into an exciting season, an exciting that, a season that is sure to bring out the best, the better years that are still ahead for us. And we believe that this new season is important and that we enter it strong and that we enter it very well. But this is much I know about seasons. Because we don't easily adjust to change, and because we don't easily adjust to new seasons, I know that we have to carefully prepare for a new season. So here's the thought I want to throw get your mind settled on to begin with. When facing new seasons, I'm convinced that preparing is better than comparing. When we're entering a new season, <clears throat> when we find ourselves in a new season... Even before we find ourselves in a new season, preparing is always better than comparing. Now, what do I mean by that? <coughs> Excuse me. I know our tendency is this. Our human nature brings us, makes us tend to want to compare. We want to compare fall with summer, or we want to compare spring with winter. We want to compare our marriage uh, seasons, right? Oh, we remember the good old days back before the kids or, or maybe the good old days back when the kids were here. And we compare one season with the next. Sometimes we can't even enjoy the empty nest season because guess what? We haven't gotten over. We're comparing to the child rearing season. We need to get away from so much comparing in these seasons. Now, churches are notorious for this, right? Churches are the best at comparing. What do we do? We're always comparing one season with the next. Now, I've been a pastor for all these years, and uh, I, I, have, I have moved in different seasons of my life from one church to the next. And, and by the way, that's where this idea first appeared to me. I, this idea of ministry, seasons of ministry and seasons in churches dawned on me when I was called to leave one church to move to another. And, uh, and, and we weren't mad at anybody. We were very happy where we were, but God spoke to us about moving. It's just what pastors do. And so in those in, in those moments and those times, we struggled with that until I learned, wait a minute, one season is over and a new season begins. But then when I'd get to that new church, guess what would happen? Everything that we did would be what? Compared. Compared to the previous season when a previous pastor was there. 
And even within our own stay at, at, at Long Pastors, what I would find is, is maybe a student minister changes or a worship leader changes. And what do we do immediately? We compare with the past, with the good old days. The truth of the matter is, we would do well to do more preparing than comparing. Instead of comparing to the past seasons, let's prepare for the new seasons. Let's prepare for the changes that we know are sure to come. Preparation is important. So I say all that to say that we should be thankful for our past. We are to be grateful for our past, but we can't be bound by our past. And instead, we need to be preparing for our future. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that our best days are before us or behind us? I think the answer to that question may reveal our own spiritual health. Are the best days before us or behind us? Now, if we compare, we're apt to say, yeah, definitely behind us. But if we are preparing, we know the answer is yes, the best are yet ahead of us. So what I want to do in this series is take a little time to talk about some of the seasons of the orchards, some of the, the, the times that we've gone through and the periods that we've gone through. Some of, I want to look at three past seasons in order to prepare us for the new season that's coming. I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to speak to all the campuses in this series. And, and, and I know that, that uh, so I don't have a way. I can't do it all live. So I'm grateful for this opportunity and, and the technology that allows us to do it in this way. But I really want to share this because I want to talk about seasons of the past. Now, the, the point is not the glory of past seasons. The point is how can past seasons prepare us for the present and future seasons. So here's what I want to talk about. Uh, Four seasons. First of all, a season of launching. I'm going to talk about a season of adding, a season of subtracting, and a season of multiplying. Okay? And in doing that, prepare us for what's ahead. Today, we want to talk about a season for launching. A season for launching. Now, if you think about the early church, one thing we know about the the early first century church, we know it was a church that was changing constantly. Can you imagine the change when we're told that on one day 3,000 people are added to the church? Wow. I know there were changes that happened. The early church was an exciting, dynamic, and rapidly growing congregation. Things were changing all the time. And guess what? Some of those changes were not well received, and some of those changes were downright challenging. I'm convinced of that. Why? Because we have a difficulty handling change It's our human nature. So I want to go to the New Testament church. I want to go back to the book of Acts. And and I want to look at this early church for the next uh, several weeks and and see what we can learn. See what we can learn about preparing. Uh, Now, as we start and talk about the season of launching, I'm convinced, first of all, that we prepare for a season, uh, a new season in our church by continuing to pursue the vision that God gave us. God gave us a very clear vision 13 years ago 
a very clear vision of what he wanted us to do, the direction he wanted us to go, a very clear call from God. And I'm convinced that as I start this series, we talk about those launching season, that launching season, those launching years. We had a clear vision so that we can continue to pursue the vision in the new season. So I want to take you to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is the story of one of our favorite biblical characters, right? Simon Peter. Now, Peter is a leader in the church. He's a, he, but yet, we know that Peter is such a normal man. He has issues just like we have issues, and, and he's so like us. I think we identify with him because we see him warts and all, right? We see him walking strong, but we also see him stumble. We see him boldly preaching the gospel, but we also see him denying the Lord. So we know this is just a normal kind of guy. Well, in Acts 10, Peter is going to struggle with a vision that God's given him. You might turn there if you'd like in your Bible. I'll, I'll highlight a few verses. I, I can't read them all. I'd encourage you to, to read them on your own a little bit later, the entire chapter. But let me set it up for you. <clears throat> chapter 10 begins with a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is a Gentile, Okay. He, he is not Jewish. He, he, he's he's a, a, a member of the, the Roman army. He's stationed in a place called Caesarea. Caesarea Maritima, it's called. Caesarea, that is Caesarea by the sea. Not Caesarea Philippi that we are very familiar with. This one was a, 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 a harbor town, a, a town that, that had a harbor built by Herod the Great. Beautiful city. And this centurion was living there, this man, Cornelius. So he's there one day, and he receives a vision from God. The vision he receives from God tells him about a man named Simon Peter. And he says, this Simon Peter has a message you need to hear, a message about Messiah, a message about Jesus. And so he's told, send some of your men to um, Joppa. We remember that from our study of Jonah, you remember, send your men to Joppa, find Simon Peter, and welcome him to come to Caesarea to your home to talk to you. And so immediately he dispatches his men. They go down to Joppa where they find Peter. Now Peter's there in the house of a man named Simon the Tanner. And as he's there one day, he's hungry. He goes up on the roof to pray and to meditate, waiting for lunchtime. As a matter of, now, I know it sounds kind of strange to say he went up on the roof. I think it would be akin to us saying he went out on the porch. In that day, the roofs were flat, and, and the tendency was they would use them typically like we use a porch, just as an outside setting, maybe to, to eat, maybe to have company over, maybe to just get away, whatever it was. So Peter, we're told, is on the roof of the house. He's praying, he's meditating, and it's noon. Now, it doesn't really imply this or say this clearly, I should say, but I know at noon I'm hungry. And so I'm thinking that Peter may be a little bit hungry. And you'll see why I think about that when you see that on the rooftop, while he's praying, Peter sees a vision. Now, Acts chapter 10, I want to do want to read a little bit of this. Look at verse number 11. And in verse 11 it says, He, that is Peter, saw heaven opened, and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill 
and eat. This is why I think maybe Peter is hungry. I don't know. No, Lord, verse 14, no, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Now, do you understand what's happening here? Before I read on, i got a couple more verses, but I want to share. Here's what's reading. Here's what's happening. Peter is seeing this vision come down with all of these animals that will provide him food and, and meet his need for hunger. The problem is, those animals are ritually unclean to him. That is, according to the Jewish law, he can't eat them. And so that's his response. Lord, I can't eat those things. You know that pigs are not clean. You know that fried shrimp is not clean. I can't eat those things. In fact, then he boasts, I've never eaten such things. Now, let's read on. Verse 15, again. A second time the voice came to him, or said to him, What God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken into heaven. Now, a casual reading of that may not reveal the weight of what's happening right here. What's happening right here is a major change. What's happening right here is God, through this vision, is saying to Peter, one season, my friend, is ending, and another season is beginning. I know you haven't eaten these foods in a season, but now a new season begins, and you're going to be able to do this. And by the way, this isn't really about spare ribs, pork chops, or fried shrimp. What this is really about is God is about to send Peter to the Gentile people with a message of the gospel. Now, that's a huge change. Up until now, everybody was fine with the idea that Jesus came as the Messiah, as the King and the ruler, the Christ of Israel, and the Jewish people. But whoa, Gentiles were like dogs. Gentiles, that's another whole question. Gentiles are misfits that we don't want anything to do with. And now, God, you're saying that, that I can deal with that? Now, Peter's experiencing a big change. Now, use your holy imagination just a moment. I can visualize Peter on this rooftop as he's praying, as he's joying. I can in, in, see the sea breeze blowing in on him, and, and everything's going fine. And then when he sees this vision, suddenly he is extremely uncomfortable because change is coming to his life. And the truth of the matter is he knew and we know that this experience and vision would lead him to begin a painful and personal challenge. It, it, he, he had to deal with <clears throat> some wrong motivation in his heart, some ill feelings in his heart toward people. He had to deal with some prejudices. He had to deal with pride. He had to deal with a lot of things that were going to make him very, very uncomfortable. But Peter was a part of the greatest launch we've ever seen for the New Testament church. He was a part of that launch that happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down on the people and the church was born. And now Peter was destined to be a leader in that movement that would take the message of the gospel everywhere and that would see churches planted within the known realm, beginning at Jerusalem and then into Judea, then into Samaria, and ultimately to the uttermost plates of places of the world, including Africa, Asia, Europe. So there was a problem, and Peter had to deal with that issue. What's he going to do? Well, reluctantly, 
Reluctantly, when it's all said and done, Peter decides to go to Cornelius. <laughs> Just as the vision ends, Cornelius's men show up, tell him the story. So Peter follows them to Caesarea by the sea to visit with Cornelius. Interestingly, when he comes to the home of Cornelius, something incredible happens. We pick it up in verse 27 and listen to what happens. <clears throat> it says, while talking with him, that is, while, while, while talking with Cornelius in his house, Cornelius, he comes to the house of Cornelius, Cornelius invites him in. While talking with him, he went in, that is, Peter went in and found a large gathering of people. So he wasn't just meeting with one man, he now has a group of people described by Dr. Luke as a large gathering of people. Peter said to them, watch this, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. In other words, you know I'm on thin ice here. My, my tradition, everything I've known from past seasons tells me I can't go in here. So what does he do? Well, he says, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure and unclean. Any person. Now, wait a minute. You see what Peter understood the vision. He's not talking about beasts. He's not talking here about pork chops and shrimp. He's talking about people. And he says, God has told me that this is a new season, and I'm not to consider any person impure or unclean. Verse 29, that's why I came without any objection when I was sent for, so may I ask you why you sent for me? And if you read on, you find that Cornelius says, we sent for you because we need to hear more about this message. We need to hear more about what you've been talking about. And so Peter begins to talk to him about the gospel I really wish we had time to, do, to unpack that a little bit because in, that, in those few moments, in those few verses, Peter tells him, we, we have witnessed the testimony of Christ, of Jesus. We, we saw him uh, go about doing good things. We, we saw him healing people and feeding the hungry. But then we saw him crucified and we saw him resurrected. And we know he's alive. And so everything that he said he would do, he did. And everything he claimed to be was validated when he rose from the dead. Boy, what a thought and, and what an incredible thing to unpack. Because let me say, Many of us are still trying to figure out, maybe many of you are still trying to figure out who this Jesus is. You should read what Peter says because Peter says he is who he claimed to be. And we saw it. And we're eyewitnesses. Why, by the way, just another reason we can look at the Gospels with credibility. The Gospel accounts are credible. Why? Because these are the things Peter says that we've seen. And as he shared the good news... We call it the gospel. As he shared the gospel with them, the good news of Jesus Christ, look at verse 45, 44 and 45, and, and look what happens. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who had heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed. Why? The circumcised believers, the Jews who had come with him, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Huge moment in the history of the church. Now, those who were once misfits are invited into the kingdom of God. Those who were once kept away from the presence of God are now invited into the family, the church 
of the living God. Now, why is this so important? Because the church's tradition is shaken, and clearly they're entering into a new season. Now, I chose to share this passage with you because as I read this text, it becomes so relevant to me, and it just makes me so reminiscent of what happened in my life 13 years ago. 13 years ago, God gave us, me and Beth, a vision, a vision to follow, one that frankly uh, was challenging, and one that I knew would enter a new or cause us to enter into a new season, but one that was important. It was very important to see what God would say. I think we need to talk about that. If I could, I'm not take much, but I want to just summarize that vision, if I could, and just summarize what we, we think about that. First of all, um, I, like Peter, I, was, I don't want to compare me to Peter. I'm not doing that, but I do want to compare what happened in our vision. Like Peter, I was just kind of minding my own business 13 years ago. I was very happy with what I was doing. I was a pastor of a very strong church in Perry, Florida, and we loved the people, and I think they loved us. We had planned to retire right there. It would be a very secure and safe place and a good spot for us to retire and a great career and everything else. And then God spoke, and, I, and listen, i got to tell you, I'm just minding my own business. It's not like I'm looking to plant a church. As a matter of fact, frankly, I wasn't sure church plants were good ideas. <laughs> just minding my own business just like Peter on the rooftop that day. I wasn't mad at anybody, still not mad at anybody. Wasn't trying to prove anything. Wasn't that I couldn't find a church, just minding my own business. But then, like Peter, God gave me a very clear vision. Very clear. And ironically, let me just add this. Ironically, one of the only people I shared my vision with, this vision with, uh, was a young man named Chip Parker. Some of you know him. And I think that's kind of ironic as to where things have gone now, having no clue that Chip would ever join us in this partnership. This, uh, it, if I could, I want to take a moment, though, and drill down on this vision, the, the things that I feel like God made very clear to me very quickly. First of all, I think that he said, I, I really sense God said to me, get involved in something that few are doing so that you can reach those that few are reaching. Get involved in what few are doing so that you can reach those that few are doing. Now, I didn't, I didn't phrase it just like that. It wasn't until later I had heard Craig Groeschel uh, at Life Church say something very similar, and I thought, that's it. He just said it very well. I knew that God wanted us to reach people. No one else was reaching. So how do we do that? What, do we, what does our church look like? Well, several things that I want to share with you that I think were part of that vision. First of all, we knew that the church, that we wanted to be a church that was driven by grace and truth. Now, a lot of times churches are driven by truth or they're driven by grace, but we wanted to have a balance there. We wanted to be able to preach truth and to teach truth and to be driven by the truth of the Word of God, but also to extend grace, to make it a safe place. To do that, we also knew that we needed it to be a church that welcomes misfits. <laughs> for the longest time, we just called ourselves misfits. And for the longest time, in reality, we are, were, and are still just misfits. But that's okay, because you know what? Even as the Gentiles were misfits to Peter, it's all right for us to reach people who are not like us. All right? A church that is simple but not difficult. 
We really believe that we were trying to make church too hard. You know what? Later on, this, this same issue would face Peter again when he was a part of a council in Jerusalem. And Paul, the apostle, and Barnabas came to them and were telling about what God was doing among the Gentiles. And, and there was this big debate about whether or not the Gentiles should be let in. It was still being debated years later or, or time later, months later. And, and then watch this. Guess what? It was James, the, 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 the elder in the church, who said, you know what? We need to just make this stuff easy. Let's don't make it more difficult for Gentiles to come to faith. And I thought to myself, what a great thought. Why do we make it so hard for people who are far from God to come to know Him? Why do we make it so hard to do church? Let's make a church. Let's have a church that's simple, not difficult. And fourth, a church that multiplies. From the very beginning, we wanted our church to be a church that multiplies. And by the way, Thus the name The Orchard. I don't know how many of you realize it, but our name came from this thought and this idea. The idea that came to us one day, us meaning Beth and I, was if you plant a tree, you get the fruit that a tree produces. If you plant an orchard, you get the fruit that an orchard produces. My, my, my. We wanted to see more fruit. And then fourth or fifth, a church that makes a difference in its community. We really wanted the orchard to be a church that is impacting its community. In fact, ideally, a church that if it ever closes down or ever walks away, the community says, wow, we really miss that church. And in reality, we know that's not true of most of us. But that's what we wanted to be. That was the vision. I got to tell you, like Peter, I was a little bit reluctant. Because all of these things would signal a new season in the life of Eddie and Beth. But here's the thing. Like, like Peter, I learned that when we are called to make a major shift out of a comfortable way of thinking and doing things, the distress can be extensive and painful and hard to navigate. But truth is, sometimes embracing a change of seasons that God has directed our way is the only way we can get to where God wants us and to get in on what God is doing. What God is doing in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your church is going to bring change. It's going to bring challenge to your heart. And there's going to be times when he says to your marriage, to your family, to your relationship, to your church, there's going to be times that he says to you, here is my vision. Here is where you need to step. It's time for the old season to close and for a new season to begin. And you're going to be reluctant and you're going to question that. And it's going to be a challenge to you. But listen to me carefully. If you want to be in the middle of what God's doing, you're going to have to come to the place that you embrace that. So the takeaway today, it's pretty simple, really. God calls us all to new seasons. Embrace them. Whatever season he's calling you, it's new, it's challenging. But as he calls you into that season, embrace it. Peter was reluctant. Peter struggled. As a matter of fact, if we had time, we could go to one of Paul's letters where Paul explained a time when he came face to face with Peter and they had, they, they had an argument about this issue that seemed to have been settled with Peter, but he still struggled with it years later. Why? Because we all have difficulty with change. We all struggle with changes, even Peter. Now, I'm just saying this today to say that 
If we, as we move into a new season at the orchard, we must be prepared. And as we think of preparation, we must be reminded of our vision, the vision that God gave us. We must take what we've learned in the previous seasons that are coming to an end and, and have come to an end and, and, and prepare for a new season, for what's ahead, because the greatest is yet to come in what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. And if we want to be in on what God is doing, then it means we have to embrace that. We can't enjoy the next season until the current season is over. And so it's a blessing when one season comes to an end. I'm just saying that to say that wherever you are in your life and whatever seasons you're dealing with, pray. Ask God to give you clarity. Ask God to move in your heart, to work in your heart as changes begin to take place and watch God work. As a church, we've enjoyed some wonderful seasons at the orchard, but the best are yet to come. We've enjoyed some wonderful seasons, but I'm convinced that we're ready to step into a brand new season to join in with God in what He's doing. Thank you for letting me share with you today. Man, I'm looking forward to the next three weeks. I hope you'll join with me. I hope you'll be here to be a part of that. I'm excited to talk about this season of addition, the season of, uh, of subtraction, the season of multiplication. Can't wait to touch on all those and can't wait to be a part of preparing us for the next season of what God's going to do. Thank you. I hope you'll join us. And by the way, man, I love hearing your comments. We just love hearing you from you. Uh, so we, we like being able to give to you, but we also like to hear from you. And so, you know what? If you wouldn't mind, take a moment before you log off, before you just uh, cut out and head on to the wherever, I started to say the beach, but you can't do that tomorrow, can you? You can't do that today. So whenever you, before you move on with your day, why don't you just stop, comment, maybe just uh, uh, give us a like or a share or something, or maybe even a word, just hey, maybe you've never even done that, but you'd say, hey, before you close out, why don't you do that today? Or you know what? Maybe you just need to contemplate the things that God's saying to you. And pray about where God may be leading you. A wonderful song is about to come to lead us to a, one, a wonderful moment of worship. As you worship God, ask Him, God, where do you have me in this season of life? You're the one who controls the seasons. So I'm giving my heart and life to you. God bless you. We'll see you again next week.